0: of Revelation, on my heart, not our hearts, as we go through um, Hebrews 2. I mean, Hebrews is such an awesome book. Um, so I wanted to do a little bit of review um, as far as the audience of who this was written to. Uh, it was written to Jewish Christians who had been and were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And they're experiencing temptation to go back to the synagogue and quit professing Jesus, like to kind of quiet down, like about Jesus, and maybe they could just be accepted, to escape the relational, the economic, and other losses, uh, to escape true persecution because of their faith, because of people who had already been persecuted. And uh, so that's who this is written to, and yet we can glean so much in our day. Um, chapter one that we did last week, um, and Charlie led just a great discussion. Um, and you know, spell check is interesting. Please change your notes. Chapter one, the supremacy of Christians. No, 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 no. <laughs> How about the supremacy of Christ? <laughs> uh, I didn't see that. Uh, that spell check did that for me. <laughs> so please right. correct that. <laughs> we'll find an uprising coming against us we <laughs> we expected. So the supremacy of Christ uh, was what Chapter One really was about. It was about His divinity, that He is really God. As as these Christians, as these Jewish Christians were being tempted to to go back to the synagogue, just to try to get back to normal life, which is a phrase we've been hearing a lot, uh, just back to normal life, Um, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 reminded them But this man was God. This man is the radiance of God's glory, and he's the exact representation of his nature And this man upholds all things by the word of his power. And this man, when he had made purification of sins, this man sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than angels, as he's inherited a more excellent name than they. So he was reminding them, remember who this is. We're not just talking about another teacher who came through and maybe we don't have to be quite so radical. This was, this was God. This was God's son. Another thing was that um, there's a real emphasis uh, put on the angels by Jews. And chapter one, the writer is saying, this man, who is the son of God, he is supreme, he is greater than the angels. I know that if an angel appeared in here, we would be we'd fall on our faces. I mean, we if we saw with our eyes, not just the eyes of our spirits, but the eyes in our heads, <laughs> we would fall down. But these are the ones who are before His throne, crying holy, 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 day and night, and they never stop. So the writer is saying, this man, this one. This one has a more excellent name. He is greater than the angels. I want to remind you. So we go on to um, chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, And every transgression and disobedience received a just just recompense. How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, that is, through the Lord it was spoken, then it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders, by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So for this reason, the superiority of the Son, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to the things that have been heard, is the actual literal there, the things that have been heard. So it kind of gives the impression that uh, maybe the writer hadn't heard right from the Lord's mouth, and, and that who this is written to, probably the majority of them had not seen the ministry of Jesus. They had not been with him. These are the things things that have been heard um, about the superiority of the Son over all former ministers and messengers of his word and over all angels before his throne for this reason and for for another reason, the steadfastness of the truth. Says, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, which means steadfast, um, then what about the word, the very word of God? So what is the good of a strong cable, which is our faith, unless it's wrapped around a strong post? If you wrap if you wrap your rope, the rope of your boat around a reed, it won't do you very much good if the currents start flowing strong Mm -hmm. Um, these truths stand fast it's worth it to bind yourself to them Mm -hmm. the word spoken by angels was steadfast but the word of the gospel was at the first spoken by the Lord and it was confirmed by them that heard it he fixed the post they hammered it in and there it stands you may hold on to it and if your tackle doesn't give, nothing will sweep you away. And that's out of McLaren's commentary. I quote him a lot. Uh, through this teaching. Um, I just I I found myself I, I I really like McLaren's commentary, but as I started reading on this particular chapter, I was just so drawn in. My heart, it's like my spirit man was just being drawn, I was being fed. So so much of what I have is from there whether attributed or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Lord has given us a strong host to throw our cable of faith around. and the writer saying, "You know, don't let yourself drift. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this other reason, we have to pay closer attention. It's what we lose if our if we let our mooring our moorings slip. We have a lot to lose. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? Like, what other way is there? Then there's none. So there's a lot at stake here. About you know if you let yourself drift, if you decide, well, you know it's controversial more and more to you know, really be known as a Christian, I'm going to start to hide it, or not mention it and then, you know, I don't want to really mention what you believe, because that brings a lot of anger and a lot of things, and so, you know, you start to drift down that road and we don't realize what is at stake not right away but there's eternal things at stake for us, so he says. For these reasons, the superiority of the sun, the steadfastness of the truth that we believe, and what we stand to lose, um, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So when you're when you're in the boat, when you're just resting. It's not more to the bank, but you're just like, you know, it's just just kind of going up and down. And you, you don't notice when you drift. You're yeah, going to take a little nap. And it happens slowly. It happens smoothly. But currents run, run strongly against us. And the, our boats, the boats of our life, the boats of our fate, need careful steering. And we need power to resist I want to look at just some of the currents that can get us there, I'm sure there's many many more but there's current, the current of years that unconsciously we slide away from the things we did at first like the devotion that we once had like we're still doing the things but there's not the intentionality in our heart there's not, the, there's not that same drive, the same passion We just drift, just kind of drift. Uh, Familiarity with the truth. Mm -hmm. It's a current because we like novelty, Mm -hmm. a new teaching, something new to happen. Um, We tend to think that the familiar is commonplace. I've read that before. Now, it's okay to do that in another book. But in this book, <laughs> no. Uh-huh. We don't want to be in that place uh-huh. where we just speed read. Going, oh yeah, I know this part. it Doesn't mean you can't ever skim if you're looking for a scripture. But you catch what I'm saying. Uh-huh. We tend to think that the familiar is just commonplace. Uh-huh. We have a need to be intentional in order to stay fresh and deep in the truth that we believe. And acting upon the truth can keep it fresh and burning on the inside. I don't want to get to the place where we just we finished a bit back uh, the class on the Beatitudes, or on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't want to get to the place that that's just commonplace to me and where I'm not conscious of needing to act on it. I want it to come to mind. And I want it burning on the inside. I want John 13 through 17 burning on my inside. I want, this, I want the scriptures to burn inside of me. And one way that we keep it fresh is by doing the Word. Doing the Word. is so simple. We like things that maybe look more noble. Um, Pastor, Pastor David... Uh, Last week was over at Parkway. Um, I'm like, what was he preaching on? I just remember that James, James, the book of James, and the need to do the work. Mm -hmm. And as I left, I was thinking of the guy in in, um, the Old Testament. Uh, He wasn't wasn't Jewish, but he had uh, leprosy or something. Mm -hmm. And he came to the prophet and can, you know, the man of God will surely wave his hand over me or, you yeah. know, do something pretty cool <laughs> and he said "Well, go wash him And I think it was in Jordan seven times, he's like, well, we have rivers in my country, like I could have done that at home mm-hmm. like, where's the cool thing where's the, where is the cool thing but he did it, because a little girl said, you know <laughs> you should probably do that you know and he was healed Mm -hmm. But we look for the noble. We look for the things that might bring esteem or make us feel like we've really done something important. Mm -hmm. And the Lord just says, just act on the the word. Mm -hmm. The little word I gave you. Mm -hmm. Forgive, serve, Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. Give me the first part of your day or give me the last part of your day. You know, just stop for five minutes and think about me. So, we have a necessity of solitude, of getting alone with God, contemplation, when we sit before Him and med- meditating on the Word and on who He is, reviewing, like just thinking about, mulling on the Word and deepening our communion with Christ. These things will help keep us fresh. It will help keep the word fresh inside of us, to keep us from this current of familiarity with the word, with the truth. Another current is the continual pressure of daily cares and anxieties and duties and even joys. And um, came across this little story uh, in 1 Kings. Uh, says your servant went out into the midst of the battle and behold a man turned aside and brought a man to me saying guard this man if for any reason he's missing then your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver and while your servant was busy here and there he was gone this guy wasn't given to guarding what was in his what was entrusted to him he was just he was busy here and there and it was like he didn't take the responsibility. He just said, "I don't know what happened." I, you know, I was busy here and there, and I don't know. That guy disappeared. That's what can happen with the word with us, and with our with our intimacy with Christ. If we don't pay attention, we don't pay attention. Um, McLaren says, "That which is held in a slack hand will slip away." We want to take hold. We want to take hold of the word of God. Uh, From Matthew 13, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he he sowed some seeds. Some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell immediately upon the rocky places where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they had no root, and they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfolded, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So it's ones that fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Um, So many daily cares and anxieties can do this. Even our duties, sometimes there's nothing we can shed Yet the Lord wants us to find Him there. He wants us to find Him there. Wherever we are, He's like, find me here. Make a place for me here. I'm with you. So the day's work is legitimate. I mean, people have to work. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be an occasion for withdrawing our hold of the truth of the gospel. But it's for deepening it. It's for walking it out. Even in ministry, uh, we can water others' vineyards while neglecting our own. Happens so easily. So we're feeling the Lord when we minister, and you know. But if we're not taking care of our own vineyard, we will find at some point, oh wow, my, my personal passion for you has it's kind of dying down to just embers. and I'm kind of drifting. I'm kind of, whoa, where am I? And then there's tides of opinion. What other people think. And there's there's tides of the ways that people think about the gospel. And in our day, there, there has been a shifting. And there's many who say, oh, it says that, but it doesn't mean that. We can do this because this is really you know, this is love, and we need to be loving and accepting, and we don't want to be judgmental, and so we don't have to obey. Well, they don't say that part. But we're at, they're actually binding people and okaying their chains. But when we go, when we let the tides of opinion sway us, and when we, we hear the false grace message that says grace is just a to forgive you, you can do whatever you want, we will drift. And we'll find ourselves, we'll wake up, hopefully, before we go over the edge of the waterfall. So those are just some of the tides, some of the currents that come to move us. All, all through our day, there's, there's anxieties, there's, there's fears, there's lots of media, there's, there's even good things that can come and distract us from staying focused on that relationship with him. So letter C, we must pay much closer attention to the things that have been heard. And I just gave a couple other ways that it's translated. We must give more earnest heed. We must give the most careful attention. We must listen carefully to the truth we have heard. We must recall it meditate, contemplate converse with God and I just encourage you that if if you don't do this it's just um, full of life when we talk to the Lord about the word as we read it we converse with him we pray it back to him we talk to him, we ask him questions uh, we take it in in prayer, we go back and forth with him So he says, for this reason, that is this is amplified, for this reason that is because of God's final revelation in his son Jesus and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels we must, we must pay much closer attention than ever to the things we've heard so that we do not in any way drift away from the truth we want to give our full attention more diligently to observe hold on All the more firmly, more abundantly necessary to take heed. There's so many other things that capture our attention. There's so many things in our day that beg for our attention. But are we given to the word? Do we love the word? Now I look and I go, Lord, I don't think I love the word as much as I did in some seasons of my life. I want to love it more. I want to love it more it's like I I want my affections to heat up when I open this book so if we will meditate upon the truth and if we will live the truth we can overcome the currents that seek to draw us away it takes a a setting of our will this isn't about self effort this is coming to him and saying you know what I've drifted I've drifted a little bit here Lord would you help me and he is so faithful to come He is so faithful to to come and help us and to remind us that He interrupts our day. I'm so thankful for Holy Spirit who comes and says, you know, turn your eyes, get your eyes back up. He comes and He draws us in. And um, He will help us to get our boats anchored into the truth and to not drift away i moving on to the next section, verses 5 through 8. Uh, for he did not subject to angels the, wor- the world to come, concerning which we're speaking. But one has testified somewhere, that is actually in Psalm 8, uh, what, is man, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. So, so the writer of Hebrews, he he starts drawing on this psalm of David who maybe who may wrote it as he was uh, watching the sheep and and maybe gazing up into the sky how incredible uh, the works of the Lord are. I want to read a little excerpt here um, from McLaren. He said, In David's time, the nations near who were believed to be the very center of wisdom had not got beyond the power of these impressions, but on Calvian plains worshipped the host of heaven. Mm -hmm. The psalm then is a protest against the most fascinating and to David's age, the most familiar form of idolatry. Mm. These great lights are not rulers, but servants. Mm. We are more than they, because we have spirits which link us with God. Mm. The poet bursts into rapturous celebration of man's greatness in these respects, that he's visited by God, capable of divine communion, and a special object of divine care. That he's only lower than the loftiest. And that, but in small degree and in one specific respect, because they, in their immortal strength, are not entangled in flesh as we are. That over all others of God's creatures on earth, man is king. So that just, I was like, wow. It's like the littleness and the greatness of man. You know, as you gaze up at the wonders of creation that God has made, that he's spoken to being, you feel so little. And yet, that we have a spirit inside us that is made for communion with God. That lifts us to to a height of greatness. The high place of man in God's eyes, visited by God, capable of divine communion, mm-hmm. the special object of divine care, only lower than the loftiest. Overall, God's other creatures on Earth. We have spirits that link us to God. Mm-hmm. So looking at that word remember, what is man that you remember him? Mm-hmm. In, the, in the Greek, it um, has to do with reminding oneself actively or purposefully to have someone in mind, to be mindful of them, to actively remember them, not like, like, not just because they were reminded of them, but I remember that one. Mm-hmm. That one brings such great joy to my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, when you remember something that one of your kids has done, when you remember your spouse or a really good friend, and it, it makes you smile like you're purposefully remembering them. That's a high level of personal or self-involvement. You remember us. It's personal interest motivating this remembering to bring one's mind back to what's important, to consider the significance of, to turn one's mind to. So the Lord is remembering I made you for fellowship. I remember gathered the dust in my hands I remember when I breathed life into you I remember when I farmed you I remember I remember walking in the garden with man so he remembers he continually bears in mind his original purpose the desire in his heart for many sons for fellowship with man for union with us That is a high place that we have been given. So the next line of that, that for the son of man, that you're concerned about him. Again, in the Greek, that's to look at something with mercy or favor or regard, to examine closely, to look after, to take care of, to tend. Even had to do with nursing the sick. To look accurately or diligently, to visit or go, or come to see. He does that with us. He doesn't just have mercy on us, but he visits us. He accurately looks at us and still wants to come to us. That's amazing to me. He looks after us. He cares for us. He tends after us. He cares for the broken. He cares for the places that that aren't functioning correctly. He visits us. He comes to see us. You know, there was a time in my life where um, many times actually but there was one particular time um, I used to pound myself a lot. Uh, Just, you know, who needs the accuser? I was just, I would just pound myself when I felt like I'd done something wrong or hadn't hit the mark or whatever and I'd really felt the Lord call me this day, like get into his presence and I just had to do one more thing and when I finally got there, like I've been, it was like this series of procrastinations and I finally got there but when I, when I got there like I'm going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry and he's like, stop I'm just so glad you're here I am so glad you're here. That's how he is with us. That's how he is with us. He's not there to pound us. But he, he wanted to visit with me more than I wanted to visit with him. Matter of fact, when I got there, after he, after he told me that he just wanted to be with me, right away, boom, he downloaded a whole song to me. So like he could hardly wait for me to be in his presence for me to just sit still so that's how his heart is towards us he's, he's longing for us to come and he wants to visit with us and he comes to us Even he interrupts our day he comes and he will interrupt us mm-hmm. hey got some time? got a minute? hey I love you mm-hmm. he just comes he interrupts our day so we read this psalm, this excerpt from that psalm, and we look around and go, well, who's the man that this, psalm, this psalmist is talking about, this glorious, exalted being who's a little bit lower than the angels, and he's crowned with glory and honor, and he, like he walks um, with authority over all the works of God's hands, and, and everything's in subjection under his feet. Who is this man? And when we look around, like horizontally, we don't see anyone around us. For that matter, throughout history, that's truly this man. Like, man is exalted. that it, Man is great, and yet man is fallen. But God will be true, though every man failed him, and will fulfill every promise, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And then in verse 9 well let's look at the end of verse 8 it says but now we do not yet see all the things subjected to him but we do see him who's been made for a little while lower than the angels namely Jesus because of suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone we look up and we see Jesus and his triumph isn't just for himself you did it but it was for us, too. And it gives us confidence. His manhood gives us confidence because his manhood, in his manhood, he showed us perfect purity. He was the example of righteousness and what it's possible for man to become. Like how it's possible for a man to walk before God. And he showed us that. And he can give us confidence that God's not putting impossible things before us. To give thanks in our trials, to forgive our enemies, to, to, to love people that are unlovely, what, whatever the things are, to serve when we're tired. Um, they're not impossible things. Because we see a man, Jesus. A man. He was God, but he's a man, and he showed us that it's possible to walk before God. It's possible to walk in righteousness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we can have confidence when the Lord asks us to do something, or when we're reading the Word and we see the Word says, "Do this." Mm-hmm. We can have confidence instead of saying, "I can never," "I can never," but instead we go. I'm so weak, but would you help me? And he's like, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'll help you. The Lord I just failed in it. Come on. So get up. Give you confidence you can do it. I'm in you, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Strengthen you to help you do this. And then we have confidence also, how close a fellowship is possible between the human spirit and the Father. Mm -hmm. Get an example of communion. What Jesus had with the Father, we can go, oh, yeah, but He was God. He was God, but He emptied Himself. Mm-hmm. He, he, he divested Himself, like He didn't use mm-hmm. all that He could have used. He walked in dependence on the Father. Mm-hmm. And He walked in this close fellowship with Him. And He's saying, This is possible for you to walk in intimacy with the Father. It's possible. To have this deep communion between your spirit and His spirit, between your spirit and my spirit, your spirit and Holy Spirit. So He gives us confidence. We see Jesus when, when this, this beautiful man, this incredible man, is described to us, who walks this way, a little lower than the angels, and crowned with glory and honor, who walks with authority over all all the works of God's hands who, who walks with everything in subjection under his feet. We can look at Jesus and we know that he's going to fulfill that in us, that we're moving towards. doesn't mean that tomorrow I will calm the storm, but there's always the possibility. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then this gives us confidence to look forward, to draw confidence because Christ is the power of He is the power to conform us to himself as well as the pattern of what we can be. He is the great lover. He is the perfectly good. He is the perfect man. But it's his power. It is not self-will, but it is his power. He is the power. It's not just him giving us power, but he is the power to conform us to himself. He is the power. So it says that he's crowned with glory and honor. In verse 9. He's crowned with glory and honor. And so the writer is shifting to contemplating Christ in the heavens. He's, con- he's contemplating Christ's manhood because he's still a man. He is God, but he is still a man. So first off, he's He's permanent. His manhood is permanent. It's perpetual. It's not transitory, like um, maybe in some Greek mythology or something that, you know, some god came down and he took the form of a man and then he went back up. and But he wasn't really a man when he was here. just looked like a man. And, and then he went back up into heaven, wherever, wherever those gods are supposed to live. Um, Jesus holds a perpetual manhood as well as his Godhood. Without this, his work as a high priest, helping us when we're tempted, having compassion with us, it would be impossible. It would cease. Because a high priest, high priest of humans has to be a human. Because he represents us. If he's he's not a man anymore, he no longer represents us without, being, without be, having this perpetual manhood, this permanent manhood, he wouldn't be a prophecy or assurance of man's dominion that was this, this word that was quoted from Psalm 8. We have that to look forward to. Je- we look at Jesus and we go, he's going to lift us up as the bride by his side to rule and reign with him. He said it, to rule and reign with him. So we look at him and he's he's the prophecy and the assurance that God's going to do this work and we will walk in dominion in that day. Mm -hmm. And without that perpetual priesthood, he would not enter the holy place for us. Because Jesus has a body and a spirit and has ascended, then we believe we too will have a real body and the spirit. Whether whether we die or whether he takes us up with with him and when he comes, we'll have a real body. When Jesus rose from the dead, yes, it went through walls, but he said, touch me. Mm -hmm. Touch my hands. To Thomas, put your hand in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how we will have a real body we will have a body when we rise from the dead we'll have a body but we can look at Jesus and be sure of it because he still has a body and so he's our assurance it's going to be different but we'll have a body so so he has a perpetual manhood Um, he has a transfigured manhood which is, he didn't have light shining down on him like in the movies. When the light comes down, he was up on the mountain with a few of his disciples,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and was it Elijah and Moses? Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They come, and it's like light emanates from his being. Mm-hmm. Like he pulls it, he pulls it aside just for a moment, Mm -hmm. woke, he is light, in him there's no darkness at all. That's crazy. Transfigured manhood, do I understand that? No. But I know he's God, Mm -hmm. but he's a man. And then he holds sovereign manhood. When we see Jesus exalted, we have hope that we too will be all that God has purposed in his heart, sharing in his glory. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He reigns over all. But the day will come. We can be sure as we see that he's already gone before us. he's He's our leader. He's our leader. He's the one who's gone before. So we know that as we follow his path, As we follow his ways, we will receive what he received because he's going to share his inheritance and his glory with us. So verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So the suffering Messiah... Was a stumbling block to the Jews. Mm-hmm. It's being written to the Jews, so it's reasonable that this writer would bring it up. Um, the Messiah—they didn't expect Messiah to die. They didn't expect Messiah to suffer. They expected Messiah to come and take over. Mm-hmm. But it says that this was in this was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author the leader of their salvation through sufferings it was in conformity with God's character and his nature because he he is so much more if Christ's purpose was just to show us the Father or be our example of a life lived for God then there's no need for the cross Mm -hmm. he just wanted to show us that but if his purpose was to bring many sons to glory, to redeem from sin and from death, then he must suffer and walk the road. because he's their leader. He's the author, He's the leader of their salvation. He goes before them. He is to deliver men. The one who is to, to deliver men must be a man the leader must have no exemption from the hardships of the ones he leads. If he's to be a leader, he must go by the same road and experience all the conflicts and difficulties that man has to experience. He cannot lift us to share his glory unless he stoops to to companionship of our grief. He could not accomplish the Father's design, except he knows the fellowship of our sufferings and be made conformable to our death. He had to go through the sufferings. The suffering and the cross were necessary not only for knowing or experiencing our condition and sharing it, but upon him was the total weight and the depravity of our sin and his separation from the Father. In his death, he bore our afflictions, and by his stripes, we were healed. No Christ is enough for us. No Christ is enough for me, a sinner except a Christ whose cross takes away the burden and penalty of my transgressions. If it doesn't do that, if all he does is reveal how great God is and how fallen I am, I have no hope.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He had to come and do something mm-hmm. in order for us to be set free from the weight of our sin, from the stain we don't even understand. I know I don't grasp this stain. Mm-hmm of my sin, I get a little bit sometimes, how serious sin is. It's not just that, oh, you're so bad. Mm -hmm. We don't understand the death that sin is, Mm -hmm. the consequence of sin. So unless we have a Christ whose cross takes away the burden and penalty of our transgressions, we have no hope. Mm -hmm. So God's purpose. Was to do the complete work of redeeming mankind and to lift them up into union with himself, that all things would be for his glory. The deep heart of God, like some rich fruit, is cleft open by the cross mm-hmm. and all its treasures laid bare as they're displayed nowhere besides. Mm-hmm. Quote from McLaren. Mm-hmm. The cross shows us like nothing else the deep heart of God because it's more than him speaking it's more than than Jesus even living on earth as a man but the cross opens up the very heart of God how deep is his desire for man how deep is his desire I think it's Isaiah 51 says, Who's believed our message? Mm-hmm. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Like the creation of all the universes was by the very word of God, and yet that didn't reveal the arm of the Lord, mm-hmm. the very power of God. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the cross revealed the power of God, it revealed the heart of God, the depth to what to which God would go to redeem the ones he made. The cross shows the greatness of his power more than creating with the word. Omnipotence has made the world, the cross has redeemed it. And there is the honor of the Lord revealed. And to reveal means to bear or to unveil, to disclose, to bear oneself. Mm-hmm. It's what the cross did. It's what the cross did. God was laid there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: For us. Because he wanted to bring many sons to glory. That was his purpose. He said, it's my heart to bring many, many, many sons to glory. So I will perfect their author, their leader of their salvation through sufferings. He will go through everything that they've gone through. Every emotion, every pain will go through it. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. This one of Genesis 1, this this one of Hebrews 1, had to empty and humble himself in becoming a man. And to call men his brothers is a depth of unimaginable condescension. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not only are we creation, but we are fallen creation. Only if he is a Hebrews 1 is the Hebrews 1 God is a condescension for Christ to become one of us, mm-hmm. a man, a human. He says, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed to call them brethren. He stooped below. And we can't imagine the height from which he stooped.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then he says, saying, I'm not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise, and again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children whom God has given me. Mm. And he says, I'll proclaim your name to my brethren. He says, I'm going to show God to men. God's whole name is in Christ. Everything that everything in his in God's nature back to Hebrews 1 he's the radiance of his glory the exact representation of his nature mm-hmm. he's the outshining of the father's glory I'm going to show them and it's only by looking at him at our brother Jesus that we come to understand that God truly is love mm-hmm. that he truly is love says I'm going to show them I will proclaim your name to my brethren so Christ's continual dependence on God it wasn't in relation to a consciousness of sin like us but a consciousness of a need for continual life and power from the Father his faith was perfect faith he continually leaned on the Father he went and prayed God went and prayed to God because he was God-man. He he placed himself, I've come to do the Father's will. He placed himself, I can do nothing except what I see the Father doing. He placed himself in that place of dependence on God. His perfect faith resulted in perfect obedience. He said, I always do the things that please him. He had perfect communion, perfect faith and unbroken fellowship to the Father. I will proclaim Your name. And Jesus conquered me because he said, I will put my trust in him. So he left us the same weapon that we might conquer. First John 5:4 says, this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith.